0: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
2: And my name is Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, what's your favorite uh, non-scientific weather forecasting tool? Mm
2: Hmm... One that we're going to talk about today. The yeah. whole, like, I feel it in my bones.
1: Uh, well, that one's an interesting, because I, I do feel it in my bones, uh, and particularly my knee, if there's uh, there's some sort of weather change coming. You do? I do.
2: So like, yesterday, when that ominous front was rolling through Atlanta, and we were looking out the windows, mm-hmm. were, you, were your knees, like, buckling?
1: No, my, my right knee which is the one that uh, speaks to me, it was fine then. But mm-hmm. earlier in the week, like the day before and the day before that, that's when I felt it. And I was thinking, oh, well, maybe the thing that they always say is true, and that you know means that some sort of weather front is coming in.
2: Is that right knee an old gaming injury?
1: No, it is a dancing injury, actually. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Dancing in a field, you know, there was a whole, you know how it goes. I do. Yeah. I do. My favorite, uh, my current favorite non-scientific uh, weather forecasting tool is, uh, it has to do with the chalk drawings that I do with my son in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more that accumulate, uh, I know the more likely it is to rain. So once we reach the point where we've covered every foreseeable space with scribbles and elephants, I know that it's got to be about to rain because it, you know, it means like two weeks has passed.
2: <laughs> okay, I yeah. like that. It is a method.
1: It's a method. You know, it's based on observational data in my surrounding environment. Uh-huh. And I look to it and I make uh, a distinct call about what the weather may or may not do.
2: And this is one of those things, weather, that we kind of take for granted because we've got the old Doppler radar systems in place. We can easily access information about the weather whenever we want. But you kind of, if you want to think about weather and, and really big terms and even cosmic terms you have to go all the way back to to when the atmosphere actually even developed and we won't go you know too deep into this but just consider for a second that atmosphere that life depends on is created by life itself so whether you have back in in the earliest of days when the earth formed really just rudimentary we're talking about hydrogen and helium hanging out On Earth, and not for very long either, because hydrogen and helium are fast moving molecules. And at that time in Earth's very young history, it was a hot planet, and so they sped up even more and they escaped out into space. But then you have, much later, volcanic activity happening. And with this volcanic activity ha- happening, you have steam escaping right from the volcanoes. You have H two O. You have carbon dioxide. You have ammonia, which contains nitrogen. And you begin to see this the sort of base stock of the atmosphere building up. And then a bit later, you have the carbon dioxide being absorbed by oceans. And this is great because now a bacterium comes to comes to be. And it gets a lot of its energy from the sun and from the carbon dioxide in the oceans. And its byproduct as a result is oxygen. And all of a sudden, boom, you have the elements for an atmosphere.
1: That's right. Uh, Currently, our atmosphere consists of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and you have 0.9 argon, 0.03 carbon dioxide, and the remaining 0.07% consists of water vapor, hydrogen, ozone, neon, helium, krypton, and xenon.
2: Right. And so the more that life developed, the more these molecules uh, were created and came to create this envelope, this atmosphere that we live in. And uh, it became so supportive that it supported complex life, such as, say, humans, that became acutely aware of the tides, of wind, of the moon, and the sun, and began to obsess about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, indeed. I mean, this is the, the movement of our environment. We live in the atmosphere. Uh, we live on the Earth, but we're we're slaves to the atmosphere. And, uh, and the better we can understand it, the better we can predict it, all the better. Now, how long have we been keeping records of what the weather is doing? Because obviously we've been obsessing over the weather since time out of mind. But when you look at observation data, generally you go back to around 1914, um, and because that, that's when observation stations became more uniform in the way that they were collecting the data and measuring it. So, if you need a start point, like that's the easiest place to go to.
2: Right. But there were other systems in place before that, but not as uniform.
1: Right, not as uniform. I mean, for instance, um, the England and Wales uh, precipitation series, which measures rainfall and snow, that goes all the way back to 1766. The Central England temperature series, which covers temperature uh, from the south, the Midlands to Lancashire, goes back to 1659. But again, 1914, that's generally modern uh, um, forecasting's start date.
2: Right, and a lot of people will point to that date, too, and say, oh, well, this is when we began to really um, d- record information about hurricanes, and maybe that's why it seems like there are more hurricanes lately, because we only have this limited data set, which may be a possibility.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's always a concern when you're looking at at patterns in uh, our atmosphere and patterns in uh, in climate is that the, the records, the dependable records, only go back so far. But again, we have been... Uh, Trying to forecast the weather uh, since uh, our earliest days. It's pretty much one of the earliest sciences tackled by any given culture. Because, um, you know, as we, after the uh, agrarian revolution, especially, we have crops that need watering. Uh, life depends on the cycle of the rains, the shrink and swell of the local river, the coming of the monsoons, uh, the advance of dangerous weather patterns. Um, you know, and again, this is particularly important for agriculturally bound societies that are depending upon this uh, artificially maintained version of vegetation that requires water, that requires, uh, and again, like all of us, is as a slave to the atmosphere. Um, and then as we develop a uh, surplus of these items, we start warring with each other, so military navigation also becomes key. You need to know what the weather's doing because you want to, uh, you want to game your advantages in trying to uh, attack or defend yourself uh, from your adversary. And when you take that uh, situation on uh, to the ocean, you have even more concerns to deal with. Uh, there are several cases in history, of course, where sea weather has saved a nation from an invading army. Particularly in the case of uh, uh, the Japanese being saved by the divine wind, protecting them from uh, the Mongol invasion. Uh, the fate of the Spanish Armada uh, headed towards uh, towards England. So it becomes important from a military standpoint to be able to tell what the weather is going to do. It's important uh, from an agricultural standpoint, and then when you get into trade as well on the seas. Uh, you need to be uh, able to accurately depend on how this, uh, this this atmosphere is going to behave, because on, on the ocean especially, this is a, a situation where the weather can see you safely to your harbor destination, or it can just utterly destroy you and your economy in the blink of an eye, right? And before we had accurate uh, meteorological instruments to help us with this to you know to accurately measure temperature accurately measure uh, pressure in the air and then compare that to our records over time what can you turn to you turn to uh idioms you turn to time-worn lore um different sayings that are based on observational data uh that deal with what the weather may be about to do.
2: Yeah, and then on top of that, you have the the cultural layer, right? So you have all of the traditions that are bound up with weather and the seasons. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of guiding principle of, you know, sayings based on observational data sometimes take on more of a superstitious quality, and people begin to see these as guiding forces and that's all well and good except that some are actually helpful and some are not. Uh, so we're going to talk about the ones that are actually rooted in in uh, scientific soundness.
1: Indeed, examples where they're scientifically grounded at the root and uh, the, the game of cultural telephone has not uh, really uh, lost uh, the truth of it over time.
2: Alright, so we'll roll one out for you now. Um, <clears throat> let me get one of my best sailor voices, I guess, here? Yeah. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. <laughs> red sky at night, sailors delight. There you go. Uh, so, of course, what we're talking about here is that blood red sky, that the kind of fuchsia and red sky commingling. Mm-hmm. And... What's behind it? Well, you're seeing a scattering of sunlight by small particles, but they're suspe- they're suspended in dry, dusty air, and that's key here, because at sunset, these conditions imply a zone of dry, high pressure between you and the sun. And since weather in the mid-latitudes moves mainly west to east, that means a day of clear sailing is on the horizon for the next day. But... If you witness the same scattering of red wavelength near sunrise, it implies that the calm, high-pressure zone has already passed and that a stormy, low-pressure system could move through soon. So, again, take the perspective of someone who does not have Doppler radar at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're hanging out in the 1600s they they need to go out on the boat the next day, their livelihood depends on it. These sort of signs and symbols present to you in the sky would become really important. But they're not always correct. A lot of this depends on where you stand on the earth. Okay, Um, okay? because this is very true, this sort of red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. For those who are in the mid-latitudes, which include most of North America, Europe, and Asia, as well as South Africa, and the southern halves of South America and Australia. But if you are in the poles or in the tropics where weather tends to progress in the opposite direction, you'd want to reverse the saying.
1: Okay. That it's so sense. cultural, right?
2: Yeah. You go to one part of the world and <laughs> <laughs> they have a totally different saying.
1: Huh. Yeah. And, of course, that's going to come into play with the with, uh, globe-trotting sailors, obviously. Indeed. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
3: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: All right, another one. Uh, This is one I had not heard of before. Um, There's a few different versions of it. I'll haul out my sailor voice too. Mackerel sky and mares' tail make lofty ships carry low sails. Mackerel in the sky, three days dry. Mackerel sky, mackerel sky, never long wet and never long dry. Now that that I hear that, and I have no idea what that even means, right? Because I don't know what the mackerel sky is, what a mare tail is. and then what does it mean the ship carries low sails?
2: You're waiting for Grendel to appear.
1: Right, yeah. Like when I first read it, I thought low sails, like maybe that means that there's not enough wind filling up the sails, but what it's actually saying is if you look up in the sky, gentle sailor, and you see a fish or a horsetail, uh, there's a storm approaching, and you better lower your sails to protect them from the accompanying high winds. Okay, which leads to the question: What on earth is a mackerel sky? Well, a mackerel sky, known uh, in Germany and France as sheep clouds. These are lar- is a large spreading assemblage of clouds that resemble a series of waves or fish scales, with streaks of blue sky peeking out between the puffs. If you look at pictures of this, it It kind of looks marbled to a certain extent. And then you have mares' tails, which are long, thread-like cirrus clouds, often stretched by strong, high-level winds. Now, when we're looking at this, uh, what we're observing, uh, this all consists of uh, cirrocumulus and altocumulus clouds, which means there's moisture high up in a cold sky at an altitude of around 18,000 to 30,000 feet or 6,000 to 10,000 meters. Uh, Simply put, these are the cloud systems that develop prior to a storm. Um, and the blue streaks that you see indicate that the clouds are breaking up due to instability in the air. So why is it correct? Well, again, these these are the cloud systems that develop tend to develop prior to a storm. Uh, and both uh, clues, whether we're talking ma- mackerels or mares, suggest an impending storm about six to eight hours away. If the clouds proceed in approaching a warm front, They'll thicken and the winds will veer from northwesterly to more southwesterly directions. Now, if not, if the clouds uh, mostly consist of bigger, darker autocumulus clouds, then you're uh, likely facing better weather in the short term uh, in advance of a possible cold front and, uh, and associated thunderstorms. So, as a general rule, the, the mackerel mare sky thing holds out, but uh, it's kind of up in the air, no pun intended. Uh, as to whether you're actually talking about strong winds coming in or if you're talking about uh, better weather in the short term followed by a potential thunderstorm
2: yeah, and again, th- this isn't foolproof, but it's the best guess based on weather patterns and and knowing what happens when conditions change, right? And yeah. I think people pay attention to these kinds of forms today cuz maybe they're they're cloud porn enthusiasts. Mm. But really, people would again stare at the sky in earnest to try to figure out what was going to happen.
1: Yeah, you have to stake your life on something when it comes to to navigation and this, some simple idiom or saying, is ultimately better than nothing. This is all well and good, but tell me, Julie, about my knee. What is going on with my knee uh, when it speaks to me?
2: Well, yeah, I got to say, uh, you're not alone, obviously, in feeling this way. And in fact, uh, Hippocrates, the father of Western medicine, noticed that certain illnesses seem to worsen under particular weather conditions. And you've probably heard people say it, you know, time over time, like, I can feel it. I can feel yeah. the weather coming. And according to Dr. Aditya Mathu writing for NYU Longone Online Journal of Medicine, quote, surveys have demonstrated that upwards of 90% of patients believe that weather plays a role in their arthritic pain. The question is whether or not this is, in fact, uh, an actual thing, and I will say that the jury is a bit out on this, okay? But you can look at a 2007 study by McAllendon et al. It's a multi-site study which followed 200 patients with knee osteoarthritis over different times of the year, and it used a well-validated pain questionnaire called WOMAC and data from the USOAA, and it uh, compared knee pain with different atmospheric conditions throughout the continental U.S. What they found was statistically significant positive correlations. Now, why would this be? It's because your body is responding to atmospheric pressure. You don't think about it, right? Because you don't necessarily feel it. But your bodily fluids are trying to exist in a constant state of balance with ambient air pressure. So as the barometer falls, as with uh, what happens with an approaching storm, your tissues can swell in response, and that can irritate nerve endings and cause your pain level to ratchet up a bit.
1: Okay. The
2: problem here is is that that swelling happens on such a small scale that it's it's difficult to objectively detect and measure it. So researchers have to rely on people's subjective accounts of pain, which, as we know, vary, and they're not always reliable. And there's also the psychological factor of priming, right? So right. you see approaching storm, maybe you start to feel
1: achy. Maybe you're paying just a little more attention to that ever-present condition, right?
2: Right. So that's not to say there's not something there. It's Mm -hmm. just the jury is truly still out on that. However, those who suffer from migraines may have a level of sensitivity to their environment that gives them a leg up on predicting the weather. And according to Dr. Caroline bernstein who is the clinical director of the Harvard Medical Faculty Physicians Comprehensive Headache Center. Quote, it may be that people who get migraines are very susceptible to any fluctuation, whether it's a weather change, foods, sleep, or stress.
1: Okay, well, I will keep that in mind the next time uh, I feel my knee talking to me. Yeah, just see if your head hurts. Okay.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of A.I., There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday
3: afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, that brings us to our next one. Uh, This one is Cold as the Night When the Stars Shine Bright, also known as Clear Moon Frost Soon. So what is this one basically saying? It's basically saying, hey, if you have a um, a clear sky, it's going to be a colder night, Right. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. And, uh, and really the uh, explanation of this one is pretty straightforward, too. So it, it gets into the basic uh, realities of how the sun heats our world. The sun emits a you know a vast amount of energy, travels across space in the form of shortwave radiation, and only a tiny portion of this power actually reaches the surface. Um, most of the atmosphere isn't directly heated by solar radiation, but rather by the terrestrial radiation that the planet itself emits. So during the day, the sun's shortwave radiation is absorbed by the earth and converted into heat. The examples uh, I often go back to uh, when explaining this are, okay, you have a fried egg, and you're going to cook it on a sidewalk in New York because you need some sort of visible display of how hot it is for the local news. Well, it's the heat emitted by the pavement that's doing the frying, not the sun above, and that's basically the reality of, of heat on our world Uh, also you have a mountain climber they're climbing up a mountain they're encountering increasingly colder conditions as they ascend despite effectively moving closer to the sun Okay, so when the sun sets the planet begins radiating this heat at various rates depending on the the materials involved and lacking clouds to capture that heat and hold it in place the surface and atmosphere grow increasingly colder through radiative heat loss So essentially, again, solar energy coming down, hitting the Earth. It's emitted as terrestrial radiation. And if there aren't clouds up there to keep it and contain it, it just goes off into space again. So, yes, indeed, if you have a night with no cloud cover, it is going to be colder because you're going to have more heat loss.
2: That makes sense because the clouds are kind of like a blanket on the night. Exactly,
1: yeah. It's like sleeping without your blanket. You're going to wake up a little chilly.
2: Without your blankie. Yes, all right, the next one doesn't have a neat little rhyme to it, so I'll attempt something. Uh, crickets be chirping, the sun must be burping.
1: Okay, I like it. Uh, I think okay. it should be added to the cannon, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so crickets, it turns out, chirp faster in warmer conditions and more slowly as the air turns more frigid. Hmm. And this is particularly true in the species Ocanthus fultoni, and uh You probably have, you know, you you grew up in a rural area, right, Mm -hmm. as a youngster, uh, as did I. And that's one of those features of nighttime, especially at summer. You hear that chirping. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing to me that this isn't something that I knew as folklore.
1: Yeah, me neither, despite just, yeah, that that cacophony of insect noises that you, you deal with growing up in a rural environment.
2: So you're probably wondering, how can I calculate this air pressure? uh, Because that's actually what they're reflecting here. Well, there's an 1897 edition of the American Naturalist by A.E. Dolbear, who created this formula, T equals 50 plus N minus 4 divided by 4, where T equals temperature, F and N equals chirp rate per minute. (laughs) And Thankfully, we have the Old Farmer's Almanac to help us convert cricket chirps to degrees Fahrenheit um, by counting the number of chirps in 14 seconds and then adding 40 to get the temperature.
1: Okay, that sounds a bit easier.
2: Right. Yeah. So, example, 30 ch- chirps plus 40 equals 70 degrees so why is this important? Well, because listening, eavesdropping on the mating calls of crickets can actually give you an idea whether or not a warm front is coming or a cold front is coming. Huh. But I got to tell you, it has its limitations because it's only accurate down to fifty-five degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, any lower than that, then the crickets take off. They're not really interested in hanging out and making ah, okay, their mating calls. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: All right. Well, you mentioned the Farmer's Almanac there, and and uh, I have I have to ask, like, what is the deal with the Farmer's Almanac? Because it's one of those books that has always been in the background of my life. Yeah, like, I think my grandfather had, would have a copy sitting around, and I I may have like leafed through it once or twice as a kid. And you see it, you know, pretty much at any bookstore you go to, there will be Farmer's Almanac there. And I really have no idea exactly what it is. I just always assumed it was just a whole bunch of old wives' tales and little, you know, you know idioms and sayings about the weather, look at the size of a woolly caterpillar to tell what the rain is going to do, that sort of thing. And I've never really paid it much attention beyond that.
2: Yeah, I, I remember when I was little, it was usually a fixture in my relatives' bathrooms, right? It was mm-hmm. good bathroom reading. And it turns out that the there are two different farmer's almanacs. Okay, oh, okay. They're competing. There's the farmer's... Almanac and the old Farmers Almanac, founded in 1812 and 1792 respectively, and they both rely on proprietary formulas for their weather prognostications. and, and HowStuffWorks actually has an article on this. Kate Kirshner wrote it, and she says, "quote The Farmers Almanac uses mathematical and astronomical formulas, which are passed along from one anonymous prognosticator to another." Hmm. In this uh, Almanac's formula is really just entrusted to what they say is one living being.
1: <laughs> a being, not, a not being. A Not a person, not a human, but a being. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes me think it might just be like a centaur or something, right? I,
2: I, wouldn't that be wonderful? That would. <laughs> if it is a centaur if, and it is a living being, right? Whatever this living being is, uh, this weather forecaster, since the publication's inception, has gone by the pseudonym... Caleb Weatherby. (laughs) And uh, they keep pretty mum about Caleb, about who he or she is. They just confirm that this person exists. That's the only thing they'll confirm. Now, the old Farmer's Almanac relies on a theory that weather is a result of magnetic storms on the sun's surface, and the forecasts are predicted based on a formula that is locked away in a black box at the headquarters. (laughs) Wow.
1: Wow. See, I had no idea it was this kind of uh, secret-y and culty.
2: Right. It feels masonic, yeah. right? It does. Um, now, both of the publications claim an 80% accuracy rate when it comes to weather, but independent verifications uh, looking at you know years of data say it's more like a coin toss, more about like 50%.
1: Okay. So they each have their own systems based in whatever's happening on the sun or some sort of secret methodology. And it just kind of lines up with what's actually happening to uh, a degree that you can roll with. Right?
2: That's the idea, right? Okay. Like, you can, there's 50% chance that their year f- out from now um, forecast mm-hmm. is going to be correct. Plus, like, you'll get some sort of tip about how to remove, you know, butterbean stains or something.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I you don't get that from your uh, just iPhone weather app, you know? No, so, you don't. The useful data.
2: Siri will not tell you that information. <laughs>
1: All right, so there you have it. Uh, Just a little insight into the world of weather superstition and how, in some cases, it does line up with what's actually going on in this complex, chaotic system of the atmosphere. Um, On that note, you know, let's let's call over the robot and have just a little bit of listener mail.
2: We got this from Betsy Lang, and uh, she starts out by saying, I had a paradigm shift two years ago while listening to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a marathon of it at a rainy campground near Barcelona. Mm-hmm. My master's thesis was on endocrine disruptors, and I cowered in fear of all the things plastic, even fearing the future of science and society. Your podcast, the first I ever listened to and still my favorite, woke me up and reminded me of the wonder in science transforming me back into the optimist slash futurist that I forgot I was during those years of. Wiping Butts, Uh, she says in parentheses, I was an at-home parent for six years. Uh, She says, I'm writing to you because you've inspired me along with so many others, and I'm in the process of creating a related but very different audio program that I hope you and or some of your listeners can get involved in. My production is called Stemagora, and it will use the voices of people around the world to have a conversation about science and math topics. Contributors can submit short audio files on topics that intrigue them, interviews, monologues, debates, presentations, musical composition. And she said they don't need professional equipment. Uh, she said she wants more of a grassroots sound So, the first phase of this project is underway, and if you guys are interested in it, make sure you go to www.quilla.info, that's Q-U-I-L-L-A dot info, because she is accepting audio entries until June 15th. Um, So, if you guys are interested in that looks like a really cool project, do check it out.
1: Indeed, that sounds really fascinating. In the meantime, if you want to check out uh, more of what we do here, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, links out to social media accounts, you name it. And, hey, for the, well, on the landing page for this episode, we'll make sure we include some uh, links to some related content, such as that uh, Farmer's Albinock, uh article on how stuff works, as well as an article on weather uh, from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: And if you have some thoughts about these superstitions, if you get a little rattling in your bones when it starts to rain out, uh, let us know. You can drop us a line by emailing us at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible.
1: free this week in your Xfinity
0: voice remote.